The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and strategies to shake up the status quo in human resources and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. This is HR Trends with Game Changers presented by SAP. And if you're keeping track, this is Season 3. We are live. It's November 17, 2014. I think this is Episode number 11, and I know we're nearing the end of this season. We have a lot more great content for you, so let's get started. Well, today the buzz is HR is alive and well. Outside the United States? What a thought. Let me read a quote here. I found a quote from Dr. Michael J. Marquardt, a professor at George Washington University. Listen up. He says, American companies think they're the gatekeepers of the best management practices. Consequently, they don't try to learn as much as they can from other places. Well, that sounds like a global, slightly damning comment from Dr. Marquardt. Whether you agree with him or not, let's focus on HR. We are going to talk about whether HR leaders in the U.S. might learn some very interesting and valuable lessons. We might even go so far as to say invaluable lessons from the innovative and successful HR practices that are happening in other countries. Let's find out. We have a wonderful panel of experts to help us explore and go on this journey. First up is a repeat guest. I don't think he's been on HR Trends before, but I know he's been with me on our Coffee Break with Game Changers series. His name is Matt Healy. He's a principal analyst in TBR's software practice. And here's a wonderful quote from Matt by George Bernard Shaw. I think this is Shaw's first time on the show. England and America are two countries separated by a common language. Well, there you have it. Matt Healy, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie, and it's great to be back on SAP Radio. Thank you so much. So a quote from George Bernard Shaw. I think this is his first appearance. So what made you pick this? Talk to me. Well, so I've lived outside of the U.S. Um, I've worked in Singapore and, and uh, covered Asia from an analyst perspective, and I've seen a lot of HR practices across the board. And, and what I picked this one really because if you look at the overarching goal associated with HR, it's to attract, develop, and mature the best talent in the world that's going to help your company move forward. And so it's the same kind of thing, and yet they're all, we're all kind of trying to do the same thing, speaking somewhat different languages, even though the goals and what we're trying to do are basically the same. So this concept of, you know, America and England being separated by a common language just felt very, I don't know, poignant, given that the goals are the same, the practices are the same, and yet country by country they're different and there's things that we can each learn from each other. 
Interesting, Matt. Thank you. When you just started speaking, you mentioned attracting, maturing, growing the talent from around the world. Is this a new concept? Because global talent hasn't always been something that companies based here in the U.S. wanted to embrace, thought they could embrace. It's just recent, isn't it, Matt, that we've become so mobile. And so I think we used to call it the distributed workforce. Well, you don't have to be at a desk in that building at that exact place to work for a company. So how recent is this concept, Matt? I think it's really been growing. Um, I think it's. I think it's been growing at about the same rate for probably the last twenty or thirty years. But anyone who's done any business school forecasting or something that says that something grows at ten percent per year after about ten or fifteen years, you know, the amount of change really grows significantly. You start getting that hockey stick effect, and I think that's where we are at this point in time. You're seeing cross-border immigration. You're seeing cross-border workflows, and then technology companies and connectivity is really driving it. I don't need to be in the same office mm-hmm. with the people um, I work with. When I, when, I was, when I was in Asia, I had a team of 22 people, and only three of them were in the same country that I was. And yet Quite I had well 19 taken. people living throughout Asia, all reporting in to people or, or into me directly. There you go. And it takes a mindset, a special mindset, doesn't it, Matt, for, especially for small companies that started thinking we will hire locally or within a, what we used to think of as a, an hour and a half commute as long as it didn't require one of the major bridges or tunnels in Manhattan, which could take you an extra hour and a half to get through. So it was, was pretty much hiring local, and that certainly has changed. We're going to explore that a lot more because that's what we're talking about. I guess we're exploring our topic on two levels, Matt, and panel, and I'm going to bring on our second panelist in a second. We're exploring it from the standpoint of U.S. learning outside and U.S us also exploring more of this hiring globally so we can attract we can uh, attempt this topic on two levels thank you matt healy let's bring on your compadre from tbr it's patrick heffernan he's a practice manager for tbr's professional services practice and we have a quote from bob dylan this is exciting it's inspiration is hard to come by you have to take it where you find it where are we finding our inspiration patrick heffernan welcome back also how are you I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me back on. Delighted to have you. Bob Dylan, a quote from Bob Dylan on HR Trends. That's interesting. Tell me. Well, I don't think, um, if you look at everything that Shakespeare and Dylan wrote, I think you can pretty much get every quote for everything you ever need. So between the two of them, you can get it all wrapped up. Um, I, we, we think about, we talk about, when we look at HR, we talk about a war for talent all the time and how different companies try to hire and, and retain and, and keep some of the best people. And, you know, you're not going to do that by using the same old practices. And that's why the Dylan quote kind of came to me that, you know, you gotta, you got to be inspired. you got to go out there and find some stuff that's out there, so find some people that are out there that maybe you weren't thinking about before. That's how you're going to get the best talent. That's how you're going to retain the best talent. And Patrick, how does that apply also to our, our theme today, which is USHR looking outside their window, their block, their parking lot, way across several oceans to other countries, to HR? Do you think that they will first need to be inspired before they say, aha, maybe we could try that here? Or do they just need to be educated and maybe, well, we ought to try it. It's time. What's your thought on that? Well, you know, fear, fear can be inspiring, too, because if you're, if you're afraid that you're falling behind and you're not hiring that great talent, the, the kind of talent that Matt was talking about that comes from all over the world. If, if you're afraid uh, or, or if you just feel like this is the time that your business has to expand and you have to be able to appreciate what others are doing and, and like you said at the very top, in a way that perhaps U.S. HR folks don't consider, then, then that's where you're going to get that inspiration. 
Thank you very much. Good addition to our starting. And now we welcome a brand new guest to HR Trends. It's Thomas Otter, who's a Vice President of Product Management for Employee Central at SuccessFactors, an SAP company. And here's a wonderful quote via Thomas Otter from Thomas J. Watson at IBM. Of course, here's the quote. Recently, I was asked if I was going to fire an employee who made a mistake that cost the company $600,000. No, I replied. I just spent $600,000 training him. Why would I want somebody to hire his experience? What a great quote. Thomas Otter, welcome. How are you today? Thanks, Bonnie. I'm great. It's uh, lovely to be on the show. First timer, so looking forward to it. You are. We'll take good care of you. So you picked this very interesting quote from Tom Watson at IBM. Talk to me. How does this relate to our topic? Well, on a couple of levels. I think IBM is one of those companies that's always fascinated me. They've got a long history, and they really were one of the first companies from the U.S. to to really think uh, globally. If I look, you know, back to back to even uh, early on in IBM's history, they 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 thought uh, extensively how to operate on a, on a global basis. So it's one of those companies that that I personally keep turning to 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 learn from. It's a it's an amazing example of 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 longevity and often uh, often hidden innovation. So I, I learn a lot from from looking at uh, looking at IBM. Thank you. And let's relate it to the idea of U.S. looking, and you're calling in from Germany, by the way, the concept of U.S. Oh, yeah, looking yeah. around the world. So how does that relate to this global outlook and possibly outreach and adoption of different types of HR practices? Thomas? Well, a couple, a couple of things come out to me in this quote, something we're going to explore a little bit later on, but I think there's a, a disturbing trend in, in, in a short-termist or, or, or a short-term focus in U.S. HR of hiring and firing. And I found the 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 uh, uh, quote here from from Watson uh, uh, quite positive in that it was a kind of looking more to the to the long term, the idea of 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 uh, uh, developing employees for the long term. It seems to have gone very much out of fashion in in, in much of U.S. HR thinking, and I think it's something that that uh, uh, other companies have other com- uh, in HR in other countries often uh, still embrace, and in fact are, are focusing more on this this concept of of. HR for the for the long term and development for the long term. It's not all just about hiring the perfect employee today and then uh, uh, discarding them, but it's about uh, engaging with engaging and and developing your workforce in a in a sustainable, more long term fashion. Uh, it's something that I think at times, again, going back to IBM, uh, it may go in waves, but I think at times IBM have been been a very good example of of, of developing for the future. Thank you, Thomas. Great quote. I want to ask you a question and then circle back to everybody before we get to the famous or infamous what's in your cup today. Uh, Thomas, do you think there's a, a, a pride of ownership in U.S. HR where perhaps the thought process is not invented here? We're U.S. We know the most. We know the best. We have the perhaps biggest workforce. So we'll just figure it out because we'll figure it out and we don't have to look across any borders. Is, do you think that could be an operation here? You know, uh, I, I I do hate to make to make um, uh, generalizations about about whole countries. I think that's a very very awkward thing to do at, at, at times. But I, I do find that 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 um, you know it's easy when you have been uh, the most successful economy for, for for many many years to 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 get a little bit parochial. And um, um, you know, me personally, I was. I was born in England. I grew up in Africa, and you know I live in Germany, and I've, I've worked in the U.S. So, so I'm sort of a nomad, and I, I have this uh, 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 sort of rather strange 
uh, view of view of the world that that really distances myself from from nationality. And I do find that 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 sometimes things in the U.S. do get do get a tad uh, a tad parochial. But what I would say is that in in, in defence of America is that when they when they discover that that there is an idea that they want to grasp and 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 take advantage of, they do so they do so very effectively. So uh, I think it's a case of uh, of of. Uh, uh, opening up and learning, and and I think the US is is often ready to do that. So I don't want this to be a show where I, I simply bash <laughs> no. bash the Americans. No, um, we're not trashing and bashing. A, a we're certainly sport, not a fun sport, though. That is. Yes. <laughs> thank you for that. No, I did. I did sense several notes of optimism in your comments, and thank you so much for indulging me. You certainly have. You are a global citizen, having been born and bred and raised and trained in so many different countries, and we're, we're delighted to have you. Thanks for your point of view, Matt Healy. Uh, going back to my not invented here, NIH thoughts about that before we go to the coffee cup question. Think that I, I think that uh, a lot of there is a lot of that, and um, I think that it does hold the U.S. back, and I think you see it uh, more and more in certain areas because it's you know the U.S. must be the best in the world at this. And when I moved from the U.S. to Singapore, there were a lot of things that I thought the U.S. did from an HR perspective or just from a technology perspective that were the best in the world. And then I saw the way it's done in Singapore or Thailand or Australia or India. And I said, you know, there's stuff we can learn. There's stuff that they do better than we do. There's stuff that we do better than they do. And, um, but it's not, it's not everyone should follow the U.S. model because that's just not... Uh, there are there are people who have come up with HR practices and other technology practices that, frankly, are better than the way things are done in the United States. And so um, I wish we didn't have as much of a, that parochial attitude as was referred to. But, but I think in, in some ways we do, and I think it holds us back a little bit. But when we do decide to do something, we really do it all in. There you go. And Patrick Heffernan, want to weigh in on this one? Sure. I would just say that we're all very biased because all three of us on this panel have lived and worked abroad outside of, well outside of our home countries and outside of the US so i think it's um i'm looking forward to the discussion because i think we all bring a very different perspective but we all have that shared experience of having worked abroad Thank you. Good point. And let's circle back to Matt Healy. You know what's coming next. It's our traditional question on all SAP Game Changers radio shows. What's in your cup today, Matt Healy? Where are you calling from? What's in your cup? Or what do you wish you were drinking after the show? Go ahead. So I am calling from Hampton, New Hampshire. And what is in my cup right now is tremendously boring. It is a uh, it is an amount of Gatorade recovery drink because, um, as Patrick knows, we have a colleague here who teaches uh, fitness classes, and I took her class a cup last week, and the muscles still haven't quite re- re- recovered from what Stephanie has done to them, and so I'm drinking Gatorade protein recovery drink right now so that maybe I'll be less sore tomorrow. Well, that doesn't sound boring at all. It sounds like a, a good, good plan. We're glad we got you on the way to recovery, Matt. Thank you very much. What is, is there a flavor to this? What does it taste like? Oh, it tastes vile. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the first vile drink we've had it's in 300 shows. Do you want to be the first, Matt Healy? You are. It, it's, it's not good. It, it has good effects, and I'll keep drinking it, but I, you're not drinking for flavor here. <laughs> Okay, well, then I have to ask you, what are you, you going to drink after you're done with this repair drink? Anything interesting? Uh, the, well, um, I do have actually an open, a, a very nice um, open bottle of Behringer Cabernet Sauvignon, which I will have this evening, which will taste a lot better than Gatorade 
recovery drink. Um, so that will be this evening. I'm looking forward to, you're looking forward to that. Thank you, Matt Healy. We wish you well. And a quick re- return of the muscles to where they started, but in better shape, of course. Patrick Heffernan, what are you drinking? So I've got this lovely bottle of Poland Spring sparkling mandarin orange water in front of me, mm. which I would love to say is, is in my cup, but because it's Monday, it's actually all over me. I managed to, uh, <laughs> to have it shooken up a little bit, and I'm, instead of drinking something, I'm wearing something. So I don't know if that's the first, but um, that's. What I was think in my it. Cup. Well, did you spill something last time you were on the show Actually, too, or was that something? That I think about I, that. Yeah. I, I think you're. You've got your reputation here. My goodness. Well, something about I hope being it, on the radio. I don't know. I, I hope it's something. We get the best stories. I sometimes think we should call this true confessions with game changers. I don't know. But thank you for your honesty. We got something about it's orange. It's probably sparkly, and I hope your your clothes are enjoying it as well. Thank you very much. Thomas Otter, you're new. I won't, I won't badger you into saying can you top those stories, but I'm sure you have something for us. What are you drinking, Thomas? Where in Germany are you? What time of the day is I'm, it, I'm in, I'm in Heidelberg. I'm in Heidelberg, okay. which is about uh, 20 minutes from, away from SAP headquarters, from the, the uh, mothership, and mm-hmm. it is uh, 7.20ish in the evening here, and I'm uh, drinking from what I call the Chalice of Productivity, which is uh, my coffee cup. Mm-hmm. And um, what am I drinking? I'm drinking, uh, I don't know, some fancy expensive coffee from somewhere in South America at the moment. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, but bit of a snobby snobby coffee drinker would would be my um, uh, would be my vice today well we love snobby coffee drinkers and I'm going to put you under a little pressure here Thomas Otter do you have a brand or a label you can share with us so we can tweet about it and tell people what a good snobby coffee drinker drinks there's a coffee shop in Heidelberg called uh, the coffee nerd and uh, he he manages to rustle up coffee from all sorts of all sorts of strange uh, exotic locations so so what i'm drinking today is actually from from the coffee shop in heidelberg those of you that are listening to this from the heidelberg area called the coffee nerd and um it is indeed a most nerdy nerdy venue who has excellent coffee so that's where that's from and nerd we're talking n-e-r-d correct yeah, N-E-R-D, yeah, Coffee Nerd. I got it. I'm tweeting it right now. Thank you, Thomas. Well, you have been indoctrinated and initiated, so welcome to SAP Game Thank Changers you. Radio. Oh, a delight. Listen, guys, I'm, you've all worked very hard here. We're just, Oh, we're a little bit past quarter after, but that's not a problem. We're going to take our first break, and when we come back, Matt Healy at TBR is going to lead us off in a 25-minute nonstop roundtable. We're going to start off talking about the role of government in HR, and we're going to talk about HR makes the world go round. Global practices that the U.S. may not be aware of and may or may not want to adopt. Big topic, good start. I'm going to tell my listeners, please don't even think of touching that mouse. That app, that dial. We'll be right back. Michael, out. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality? Your organization is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line? 
You need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. Welcome back. We took a brief break and we're back with Matt Healy at TBR, Patrick Heffernan at TBR, and Thomas Otter at SAP. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham and our topic today is HR makes the world go round global practices the U.S. may be able to, want to, or be interested in learning about. We're going to hit the ground running here and that's a key phrase of what I'm about to talk about with Matt Healy at TBR in our in our roundtable and we're going to start with the role of government in HR. Let me just read from Matt's notes here and then he'll take it away and introduce it. Matt says there's been a re- Reduction in on-the-job training, we used to call that OJT, offered by most major companies in the U.S. And the, the result, Matt says, is if companies abdicate on this training, it falls on the education system to train people for jobs. And there the word government comes in. Matt Healy, why don't you expand this for us, please? Absolutely, and thank you for the lead-in, Bonnie. Um, mm-hmm. It seems to me, just across the board, having worked at a variety of different companies, it, that um, it, the amount of on-the-job training that, that art is being offered uh, is decreasing. Uh, employers look at CVs, they look at resumes. I've done it when hiring people, and the question that you get asked is, of all of these candidates, which can get me to productivity or ROI in the shortest amount of time? I need the ideal candidate. I need him or her right away, um, and I don't really have time to spend, you know, a year, two years getting them trained. So then the question becomes, if, I'm, if the employers are going to abdicate the responsibility for that, Given the global and the distributed workforce that Patrick and you and and uh, Thomas were referred to earlier, um, you know, if if one country isn't willing to do that and produce employees and candidates who can fill the needs, I will find them wherever I can, and that may be in the United States, it may be in Singapore, it may be in Dubai, um, it may be in in Germany, right? If you just look across the board, so the question becomes: How does the how does the government and the educational institutions create an environment in which the, they're producing the types of candidates that employers need? And that can fall into STEM majors. It can fall into a lot of different things. But I think that that's where, where educational policy really has to work with uh, corporate leaders to start producing uh, the type of candidates that people need. Okay. You want to give us an example from Australia, Matt? Yes, I think you actually, have one. I was doing something, and this was something that we, I saw quite a bit more uh, when I was over in Asia. The U.S. The US educational system focuses a lot on theory. I got my uh, MBA from Carnegie Mellon, um, very good school, uh, and I learned a lot about business theory from HR theory to finance theory to operations to everything else. But what I didn't come out with was a very practical and tactical knowledge of how to 
to get things done. Now, if you look at, uh, I think it's the, the uh, Victoria University in Melbourne, uh, where SAP has partnered with them to incorporate SAP solutions into the classroom so that when a leader comes out, they're already familiar with some of the technologies that they're going to be using. They're familiar with the software, the applications. And that is much, that type of partnering is much more common overseas so that you get somebody who comes out into a leadership position from a reputable or from a top-rated business school and then all of a sudden doesn't have to spend however many months or years learning the SAP systems, because while, you know, the goal of SAP is to run simple, the systems are, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with them, they can take some time to, to be able to understand. So I think that kind of blending of theory and tactical uh, makes for a much more productive worker right out of the bat, and that's apparently exactly what customer companies want, because that's what they're recruiting. Thank you, Matt Healy. Patrick Heffernan, join us. What do you think? Yeah, you know, Matt mentioned STEM, and one of the things I understand where Matt's coming from on the from the Asia side of this, and and talking about sort of at the MBA executive level, but at, at the other, at the more junior level of things, one thing that I learned about uh, last week in Guatemala was a program that they have there where they've they're creating, and, and it's a public private partnership between some IT services companies and the Guatemalan government. That it's an, it's a one year essentially a finishing school for university graduates in the STEM, the science, technology, uh, engineering, and math disciplines to go on to take a year of perfecting their business English and their technology English, understanding that uh, it may be a global world, but uh, <laughs> business is done in English everywhere, uh, just like this mm-hmm. radio show. So it, it was a great example of a concrete government program that has a huge impact on on HR, on companies that uh, in Guatemala and the opportunity for them to expand by giving them a, a or, or boosting the pool of uh, talent. Thank you. Um, Thomas Otter, join us. What do you think? I, I think often in the U.S. The, the term government gets a bad rap. You know, it's automatically assumed that, that, that you know, the, the famous Ronald Reagan quote, quote the most feared Eleven words in 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 the world are uh, I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Um, but I think in the context of of long term development strategy, I think there have been many examples of 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 uh, government initiatives that have that have helped uh, drive long term productivity in economies. So you know, there's the, the the famous examples. I think going back to India, uh, where the investment in in uh, computer science and, 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 and maths and physics and so on uh, decades ago has, you know, set the foundation, I think, for some of uh, India's uh, success today. Um, I think one of the things which has got quite a lot of press recently in the U.S. but, but has been around in, in, in Germany for some time is, is the point that, that higher education here is essentially free. Um, uh, so the state is playing a significant role, obviously, in funding that in, in funding that mm-hmm. higher education, and so that 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 access to education uh, it creates a, a level playing field, I think, for people from all backgrounds to to get the education that they that they need to succeed in the in the um, uh, in the in the workplace. So, so I think that there is a, a role of of government for government to play in 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 setting the 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 education agenda, and it's and it's by working with uh, uh, in partnership with with uh, uh, business, but it's not just about the the, the uh, uh, science and technology uh, training. I think that uh, uh, governments that fund uh, a broader um, 
uh, academic programs, you know, in the humanities and other areas of of, of uh, life that set the foundation for for a productive uh, for a productive economy. So it's it's not just the science and technology subjects that are that are important. Yeah. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, interesting. I'm, I'm reflecting back to one of the Sunday news shows. I watched several of them here in New York on Sunday morning. It might have even been 60 Minutes last night talking about the shift in education where people are not sitting still for what somebody said, a customized um, college program where you pay two to three hundred thousand dollars for four years at a college where they tell you what to take and what to do and where to go for what you think you want to do after college more and more students are embracing the online classes the MOOCs and coming out with a even free if not incredibly cheaper non-debt ridden education where they might in the paradigm was the new paradigm was going to an employer and say hey I took these 22 classes and I I've passed this and I passed that but I did it all sitting at home in my home office on my computer and I understand all this and now I want you to hire me Thomas anything I know this isn't a show about education but since we're on it I thought it was so timely to think of the shift in the way people are getting educated do you think that will enable them to be ready sooner and embrace entering the workforce around the world. Thomas, just some quick thoughts. Yeah, I think I think the, the development of these courses is a is a very uh, very very positive dynamic. I think it's it, mm-hmm. it brings access to uh, the best academics and and some of the best uh, uh, materials uh, in the world to people that otherwise wouldn't be able to wouldn't be able to access them. So I think it's a it's phenomenal progress that these uh, these tools are, are are available. I think uh, the uh, learning curve that one goes through at a university, a physical university, can't totally be replaced by an online by an online uh, experience. I think the um, uh, my own personal learning of the ability to to function adequately with a hangover uh, was driven <laughs> largely at university, and 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 that's a that's a lifelong skill, um, and, and I think I don't think one can learn that just yet online. But but that said, I think I think also the the these courses uh, also enable lifelong learning. Um, I've been doing a couple recently, brushing up on 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 statistics because I studied that many years ago, but but mm-hmm. never really liked it. And I've you know gone back and looked at some of the Khan Academy stuff and and, and other mm-hmm. you know, other forums that are that are teaching uh, uh, what is it, you know relatively elementary statistics and, and and really refreshing my background on that. So I think I think. Um, uh, these these new these uh, MOOCs have great opportunities and and, and potential for for uh, lifelong learning uh, lifelong learning as well. Thank you. I'm glad you've mastered Hangover 101. I, I almost didn't stop laughing in time to take over after you spoke, Thomas. I was going to put you in charge of the show. Thank you for that. Um, okay, Matt Healy, any thoughts on, on MOOCs while we're on it? Just briefly. I know it wasn't part of our curriculum for today's show, but I'm just interested. Talk to me. Pat, uh, Matt, Matt Healy first. Uh, no worries. I, I was just... Um I had looked something up at this point because when we were on the um, when we were on the topic of of uh, government and education, there was a Thomas Friedman column in the New York Times uh, in 2012, and I remembered it from there, in which he was discussing what his favorite country was, and it was Taiwan. 
And when people ask why, and this is the direct quote, so I've got it on my screen, he's, his answer was very simple, because Taiwan is a barren rock in a typhoon-laden sea with no natural resources to live off. It even has to import sand and gravel from China for construction, and yet it has the fourth largest financial reserves in the world, because rather than digging in the ground and mining whatever comes up, Taiwan has mined its 23 million people, their talent, their energy and intelligence, men and women. So... Uh, When you start talking about the goals here, what are, you you look at places like Singapore, you look at places like Taiwan, and you realize that because they have nothing other than their people, they have created systems in which the people are the greatest asset. The government and the educational system has come up and has done those roles, and Singapore is third or fourth in terms of GDP per capita. Taiwan has a massive and very prosperous economy. So when you start looking at at these types of companies, countries, you begin to realize that those type of, of government investments, I know it's not, that's not the purpose of this, of this show, set mm-hmm. an environment where any HR person has a much higher ability to succeed because the talent is there. Mm, interesting. Patrick Heffernan, talk to yeah, us. I'll just weigh in real quick. We did some research recently on corporate learning and how it's evolving and moving beyond MOOCs and uh, what kinds of what kinds of programs HR departments are actually using to improve their education and what, what resonates, what actually works. And we found that having the right incentives, uh, having doing evaluations in a, in a more meaningful way, and then providing that social connection. I mean, you, you can do the online course, but Thomas is right. If you don't um, have a hangover the next morning, it, it's just not the same. And, you know, we saw that that... that you end up with clients that have expectations that are much higher about who's coming to the table, and you, you see that the, smart, the smartest of the companies are taking corporate education or corporate learning and making it a, an almost a daily thing. And to tie into the theme here, the company that sort of was the smartest uh, and, and applied these more broadly and more successfully than anybody else we saw was actually a German company, uh, not an American company. Mm, interesting, interesting. Guess what? We're going to move on in topic. Thank you for that, all of you. Sorry to sidetrack the conversation, but I thought it was interesting to get your POV. Patrick Heffernan, you're up next for another conversation thread in our roundtable. And let's see here. You sent me a very provocative statement here. You know, we have a show called Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, and this show could have come right, this topic could have come right out of that show. Patrick, you say nothing is new in HR. It just feels new to you. And Patrick, we had a conversation last week on Innovating Innovation, asking, are people just, in the name of innovation, just moving the atoms around and really just changing the form and the shape, but there is really nothing new under the sun. So your comment is, nothing is new in HR, it just feels new to you, to take an opposing view. None of this is radically new. People have been managing other people since Noah built his ark. Patrick, let's start this new conversation thread. Sure, I was hoping you were going to use the one about Macbeth and the uh, three witches being his own personal HR department giving him career advice. <laughs> well, you just did. There you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Thank I, you. I do. You know, we've, and I think Thomas and Matt um, and I have all been around long enough and lived in enough different places to have seen a lot of the, the good and the bad in HR over the years. And, and I can recall back in, in the 1990s uh, in Dubai some of the shenanigans that companies were up to to try and uh, manipulate employee contracts uh, and, and to try to set things up uh, that, that required an HR department to, to sort of step in and, and make things better for employees. I, I don't think that kind of stuff goes away. Uh, I do think that 
to tie back to what Matt was saying at the beginning, so I'm going to disagree with my own my own point here. Um, mm-hmm. What Matt said at the beginning about uh, people, global talent, and having you know a 22 person team, 19 of them uh, out of the office and different countries. I think that is increasingly the norm. I think the experience that Thomas brings to the table of having lived in many different places uh, and you know born somewhere else. I think that is coming to the fore more. I think we're we're going to see that the global influence of experiences outside of your own country are what will change HR uh, probably more than it has changed in the past. And so, again, if I throw myself my mind back to the, the 1990s, what was happening in Dubai, um, that was very local and that was very, there was a parochial mindset there too about how to do things well. And uh, I think as more people have experiences like the three of us have had, uh, I think that it will, that's where the change will come for in, in HR. So I hate to di- disagree with myself on this, but I think there is change coming. Well, you're allowed to disagree with yourself and anybody else. This is open season here. Thomas Otter, would you like to agree or disagree with Patrick Heffernan when he was agreeing with himself and when he was disagreeing with himself? Uh, that's, 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 I'll agree with I'll agree and disagree simultaneously. How's that? I'll get that's perfect. Um, go ahead. We could go on a Macbeth uh, uh, Macbeth uh, uh, um, uh, line. I think the the, uh, the mistake Macbeth made was taking career advice from his from his spouse. Um, but uh, uh, that sort of leads us on to the to the uh, agenda discussion on diversity. <laughs> so we're, we're going to pick on that one later, right, Bonnie? Or we're going to do that now. We'll, whatever you want to go with this, that's fine, Thomas. Yeah, I think maybe we'll 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 pick up on that one. I think uh, one of the other things I, where I think I think we can we ought to be doing more um, three men on a panel discussion is, is perhaps uh, it's perhaps dangerous bringing up the the question of of, of uh, uh, gender uh, gender diversity. But this this I think the global approaches to gender diversity I think are worth worth exploring as well. I think there are learnings from. From uh, uh, from the Nordic countries, uh, both mistakes and and successes that we made made in the uh, uh, in, in Norway and Sweden and Denmark uh, in terms of, of of gender diversity that are worth worth exploring. Again, some of the stuff links back into what we were talking about earlier about government uh, 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 government and and, and uh, broader societal involvement in work. But I think the the uh, work that's been done. In, in the Nordic countries, in particular, to 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 facilitate uh, 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 a more equal uh, sharing of the burdens of of, of rearing children, uh, creates uh, uh, opportunities for uh, for women in the workplace, which I think has been very positive for for uh, productivity in those in those uh, those countries. So I think they're learnings they're learnings there too uh, that we can that we that we can pick up. Yeah. Thank you very much, Matt Healy. Join us. What do you think? So I think that Patrick is, well, you know, he's managed to agree and disagree with himself, so which basically mm-hmm. leaves us in the point of having to agree because he's made both sides of the argument, right? Um, which very well done. Um, from, from my perspective, change is coming, but I think it's generational. I think it's going to be slow. I think it's going to take longer than anybody wants it to take um, because despite the fact that everyone thinks that they need uh, to deal with some type of change. Um, change is hard. It's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, we want more diversity, but we don't really want more diversity. We kind of do, so long as everyone kind of thinks like us so that they can reinforce our own biases and our own thoughts. And the problem with diversity is oftentimes that's not what ends up happening. 
Um, and so I, I think that change is coming. Um, the cynic in me says it's going to take longer than it should, and uh, the organizations that it takes the longest are probably going to have the most amount of most amount of uh, trouble and the most amount of difficulty. Um, you know, it's 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 one of those things. It would have been great to have. Uh, to, you know, we've got we've got three guys on a panel here. Well, that doesn't mm-hmm. speak much for the diversity of this particular show. Now, I get it, and you know, I'm not trying to indict anybody in any way, shape, or form here. But, but I, you know, I, I think that's the kind of generational change that we have to shift. And I think HR has to be um, has to be has to uh, really take the lead on that. But that's going to be really hard. And you know, I, I, I guess I'm hedging because I really do wish we could. I wish there was an easy answer, and I really don't think there is one. And I think it's going to take a long time and be painful, but it's going to be necessary. Okay, Bonnie, this thank is Patrick. Can I jump in yes, with a question here? Certainly may. Sure. So, in in thinking about diversity, um, I have had in my professional career, I've had two times as many bosses who were female as were male, and those are those were all American bosses. So, I think maybe this is an area where the U.S. actually isn't doing so bad. And I'm curious if the other two panelists have had a similar kind of professional experience or if it's been different? Thomas, why don't you chime in? Yes, yeah, so I think I think in, in 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 I think America has has in, in some cases uh led the world with uh with um, on, on some di- some elements of gender diversity. I think that the challenge has been it's been um the American model has made it uh easier for Women to I'm treading on thin ice here uh, mm. for women to succeed in a men's world, but what I don't think it's done is it, I don't think it's changed the the, uh, the the playing field. Whereas I think the the Norwegian um, uh, uh, model has rather changed the playing field to make it to to make it uh, to make it fairer. So I think there are there are positive elements in the in the. Uh, in the U.S. approach to gender diversity, but I don't think it's it's fundamentally fundamentally changed the game. Whereas I think the the, the Nordic approach is is more about changing the player field than uh, simply enabling uh, 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 particular individuals. Thank you. Uh, you know what? We're running short on time, believe it or not. I want to make sure we address some of the wonderful discussion points I received from Thomas Otter before the show. And I'm going to come out with a very damning statement here that Thomas sent me. Let me read it. And those of you, uh, Matt and Patrick may know the gentleman I'm going to reference here. Uh, Thomas said, American HR thought leader and Wharton professor Peter Capelli, who, side note, has been on our radio shows with me, described USHR as the weakest in the industrial world. Now, that's a heavy statement. Thomas, you want to agree, disagree? What do you think? I think, I think Capelli was, I'm going to dodge this one a bit, but I think Capelli was making, making a very valid point. I, I, I thought that the book that he wrote on the skills gap, it was a very thin book, um, uh, so it's an easy one to consume on a short flight, was mm-hmm. uh, one of the most insightful HR books I've read in a long time. And mm. he made the point about the, the what we discussed earlier, that, that there is this uh, short-term approach to, to hire and fire. So um, the point that he makes is that, that American organizations have become very good at hiring for a, for precisely for a particular skill set. 
but have not uh, 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 invested in the the other elements of HR in terms of of employee development, uh, uh, career rotation, and that that longer-term thinking. So I think in many cases, um, uh, from a long-term sustainability point of view, I think I think uh, Capelli has, is right. From a from a short-term uh, effectiveness, uh, short-term efficiency perspective, I think USHR is is uh, is very strong. But but from a thinking uh, longer term, I think um, there are uh, opportunities. I think, for instance, to learn from French HR and also from from German HR. Um, Having lived in Germany now for for over a decade, I've been very impressed with the apprentice model um, uh, in, in in Germany. The way where organisations um, uh, identify uh, youngsters even at a high school age and uh, encourage them to come and work uh, in a meaningful way at the company, and the education system works to allow them to 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 study and work at the same time. So what this means mm-hmm. is is that while it takes longer in theory to get a degree in Germany, you actually have somebody coming out of it at the end of the process who is actually uh, knows your company culture, uh, actually knows what works about, and and uh, can have uh, already has that meaningful success in the organisation, and and that uh, apprentice model works well, and it's not just in the traditional industries where you expect where you you know where you think about apprentices like shoemakers and, and bakers mm-hmm. and those those kind of the professions. Trades. But it's actually mm-hmm. for instance in in IT. So at SAP we have uh, apprentices and, and and the fascinating thing for me to watch is is uh, which which I, I find good is not so much the role of HR but it's the role of the manager that that I super for instance I supervised I was the corporate supervisor of somebody's dissertation. So mm-hmm. they had an academic supervisor who was in the um, in the university, obviously, and then I was a, a secondary marker of that of this person's uh, a dissertation, and 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 so uh, I helped set the subject that I wanted them to to do the dissertation, the dissertation on, and and then the they were they were paid a, a salary while they were while they were while they were doing it, and it was a useful output for for me as a manager, but that that coaching exercise that that I had with that individual was for me a very beneficial uh, uh, learning experience for, for me as a, as a manager because I was now interacting with, you know, a 22, 23-year-old person who, who had a whole different outlook on life from, 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 from what I had. So I, I, I found that that model uh, in, in, in German HR particularly, uh, particularly uh, uh, refreshing was this apprentice model. And it's really strong, for instance, in the automotive, you know, in the, in the, uh, in the automotive industry. Thank you, Thomas. Matt, any examples or Patrick? No, no I just want to. I just want to jump in here because if you look at where I started with uh, companies abdicating uh, the on-the-job training, because what was my central premise? Uh, looking through CVs and rev- resumes, you tend to uh, hire the person who's going to get you to the ROI fastest, uh, mm-hmm. and that means not taking time for an apprenticeship and. You know, even you know here in the U.S., that tends to, the apprentice model, as Thomas pointed out, tends to be very geared towards the trades, to you know either a cobbler or a mechanic or something along those lines. Whereas, if you actually want to hire and develop somebody for the long term, that's a whole different skill set, and that's something that U.S. companies with quarterly earnings and quarterly pressure and constant 
what's my ROI? Can I get payback on this person in three months? I, I mean, mm-hmm. it's pervasive. You do surveys on IT development. Can I get payback in a month? People development. Can I get payback in a month or two months? And, and so everything is as short-term as it possibly can. Um, and that's just, that's not the, U.S. companies don't think about that. And so I think if you're looking for executives and senior leadership and to groom people over the long time, you have to start thinking about it differently. I think USHR should learn from the other countries. Um, some things can be done on a temporary basis and a, and a fast product, you know, and you don't need full time and you can hire for a skill set and then release the person when you're done with them. Um, and in a lot of cases, that works well, but it doesn't work well in all cases. And I fear that the U.S. has taken it too far in one direction. Thank you. Patrick, any comments on this? I have a question for the whole panel after Patrick comments. Sure, Bonnie. I'm sure you don't need any ideas for radio shows, but I would love to hear a panel <laughs> of American, German, and maybe Singaporean millennials talking about the apprentice model and whether or not that actually would work, because I think that's an element to it that, um, that we haven't touched on that I think is a challenge as well. Yep. So why don't you nominate some people to me and we'll do it. We have openings in, actually we're filled in January and February, we're filled in April, but we have a couple show openings in March on Coffee Break. Sounds like a great topic. My, my question for the panel, and by the way, we're nine minutes from the end of the show. We still have our predictions round, but a quick answer I'd love from all three panelists, starting with Matt, then Patrick, and then Thomas, is they, the old saying, you don't know what you don't know. If USHR thinks they're doing things right and they're maybe struggling, maybe not, to figure it out, and they're doing the best they can, and they don't know that there are other HR systems, practices, uh, mantras in other countries that could be so useful to the U.S. HR culture. Whose job is it in the organization to say, wait a minute, we've tried this. It's not working out so great, or there's got to be a better way. Whose job is it to open the eyes, open the window, look outside and say, Maybe we'd better take the time to ask or look overseas for other ideas. So whose job is that? Matt, just quickly, what do you think? Every single person in the organization whose title is above director. And mm. the, reason I, the reason I'm so broad on this one is I don't want to pigeonhole it to HR, to operations, to finance, to everybody else. But the fact is that everybody has challenges and everybody needs to listen to what's going on. And the problem with them is, is, you know, if it's everyone's responsibility, it's nobody's responsibility. But these types of culture issues in terms of running the organization, running the people, um, are, are never relegated to just HR. It's a culture across the board. And so I think that everybody on the senior level has to understand that, look, if the results aren't bearing out what you want them to bear out, maybe it's your time to try something new. And I think HR is a spot where people are reluctant to try things new. And so I just, I, I'm going to put the, I, I'm going to put the blame squarely on, on the senior people. And I think it's their job to look out because it's not going to come from the bottom. Thank you very much. Patrick Heffernan, thoughts on this? Sure. I think a lot of companies actually do have people with the experience that Thomas and Matt and I share that is working and living abroad. So if HR knows that you've got somebody here in your company who worked somewhere else, lived abroad, worked somewhere um, overseas, then go to that person and find out, you know, what, what, what were the practices that worked somewhere else? Because like you said, Bonnie, things aren't working here. I'd, I'd leave it up to HR to get, get after that. Thank you. Thomas Otter, what are your thoughts? Whose responsibility or blame is it? I'm, I'm going to I'm I'm going to come up with a suggestion on how to fix it. I, I, I think you know some of the favorite my favorite people on on the planet are Americans who've lived abroad, 
um, uh, I don't know the, the, the gang on the line today, but if I look back at my career, those, those are some of the people that, that I've become, you know, best friends with in my, in, in my, um, you know, my time. And, and, and I think that's because you, you, you get people who, who, when they've been exposed to other ways of thinking and, and, and other, and, and other ways of doing things, it opens their mind. And, you know, the more that, that, Organisations can can uh, utilise people that have lived and worked abroad is is um, uh, you know I think is, is is critical and and so from an HR point of view I think what HR can do is it can think a lot more about repatriation of expats so you know HR spends a lot of time thinking about oh we need to send manager ABC to um, uh, to go and sort out operations in India or whatever and they send your know, manager ABC at great cost to India. Uh, and they pay for that person's kids to go into school, and they might pay for the spouse or whatever else. And then, you know, uh, they do a lot of work on the on the sending of the expat. But actually, the 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 very few organisations I think do a good job of when the expat has been abroad, of bringing those learnings back, um, or, or the le- the learning back into into the into into uh, a head office and bring those those cultural changes and those openness and those new ideas and the willingness for for for, uh, uh, for new ideas. There's nothing more powerful in the world than an American who understands the rules of cricket. Yeah. <laughs> you have all kinds of words of wisdom here, Thomas. Thank you. I Guess what? We're so I actually like yeah. watching cricket. And when I was over <laughs> in Singapore, you know, there was, there was, the ICC was going on, and the semifinal India Pakistan was a spectacular game to watch. I think you know. So uh, yeah, I get cricket, and boy, I got to tell you, I never thought I'd like it. But um, if you're an American and you can learn how to watch cricket, you should absolutely do it. It grows on you. Great. Guess and, what? And, it's time for to, to, predictions. Yeah, predictions. Predictions. I have to. I'm sorry to interrupt. I have to. I'm giving you each one minute for predictions. We are really tight. But you can talk about cricket in your predictions, Thomas. So, Matt Healy, if we were to reconvene in the year 2020 or any year, you see in the crystal ball where there's blue sky on HR in the U.S. opening its eyes, minds, and hearts to other practices around the world, what would you be saying around 2020? One minute, go. I would be saying that... The HR practices in the U.S. have gotten a lot better in terms of acceptance, not because they got better, but because the people who didn't get better died and the companies were replaced with uh, organizations that were more forward-thinking. So I think we're just going to move forward in a Darwin-esque approach. Okay, very interesting, and that's uh, controversial. We'll have to do a show on Darwin and HR. Patrick Heffernan, predictions. Are you looking ahead to 2020, or do you have another favorite future time you want to predict? Sure. So in 2020, we're going to look back and say that over the last five years, analytics has become a huge part of HR and that now we're at the inflection point of a backlash where companies are saying we need more personal touch, we need more human touch, we've relied too much on, and again, HR company or HR departments in the U.S. relying too much on the ability of, of HAL, the supercomputer, to, to predict what uh, should and shouldn't be done in HR. So we're going to have a backlash in 2020. Interesting. Thomas Otter, I'm so sorry I interrupted you, but now, because they were so brief, I can give you two minutes for your predictions. Talk to me about cricket. Thomas, go. Uh, well, in 2020, South Africans, will, South Africa will be the world cricket champions, but that's, that's fairly obvious. That's, <laughs> that doesn't need a prediction. That's just a statement of future fact. Uh, but if I uh, turn, turn to, to HR predictions, I think we'll, we'll have an HR of, of two worlds. We will have a, a, 
uh, for certain jobs, there will be a ruthless efficiency uh, exportation of of contract labour uh, race to the bottom in terms of cost, and then for other jobs, there will be a a focus on on hiring the best in the world at at uh, whatever cost and developing those people, uh, building those people for 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 long terms, and the the organisations that manage to mix the uh, 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 the mix of contingent and 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 uh, full time full time labour and get that right and get the investment models for those two right will be the organisations that succeed. Thank you very much. I have a quick bonus question, and I mean quick. Will millennials change the face of HR in terms of their demands coming into the workforce before the next whatever letter generation follows them? Because millennials are about to turn 35 soon, so we're going to have to have a new letter. Uh, Matt Healy, are they going to change the face of HR in the next five years, yes or no? No. No. Patrick Heffernan, yes or no? No. Oh, Thomas Otter, yes or no? No. Okay, well, we had a dud on that one. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Guess what? It's time for me to do my predictions, and the predictions are that today's Monday. This is the start of our broadcast week. Wednesday morning, I'll be back at 11 a.m. Eastern with Coffee Break with Game Changers, and Wednesday afternoon, because it's our double header, we'll have a new episode of The Customer Edge with Game Changers presented by SAP, and Thursday morning, we'll have another episode brand new live of The Future of Business, which is now in Season 2. Shout-outs and thank you to my wonderful panel. You were all vocal. You were all good with your opinions and your POVs, and I love the way you bounced off of each other. Thank you so much, Matt Healy and Patrick Heffernan, both at TBR. Thank you. I know you're both very busy, and thanks for taking the time. And Thomas Otter at SAP, a pleasure to meet you, and let's talk about some more topics from you. I know you have a wealth of knowledge, and a shout-out to Sylvia Lennon, who I believe introduced us to Thomas Otter, Stephen Thorne as well, working on the HR Trends radio team in terms of owning the editorial calendar, and thank you to Michael and the Business Channel team for getting us on the air, and Sylvia at SYLV says, has been tweeting as has Matt Healy. You can talk and tweet at the same time, Matt. That's a special skill. You're hired. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll see you on Wednesday morning with Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.